Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. What's my story? In 2007, I was divorced, in debt, stuck in a soul-sucking job, desperate to have a meaningful, fulfilling life, but not sure where to begin. I made a simple choice at the time, to start honoring my yes and to start speaking my no. Consequences be damned. After all, how could my life possibly get any worse? I began the long path of becoming a professional songwriter, finding my fearless voice along the way. Now, I'm living my dream life as a husband, father, and professional storyteller. Are you ready to minimize overwhelm and maximize your capacity to do your best work? In April, I'll be offering the Spring Clean for Authors four-week online support group to help you declutter your personal and professional lives. You can show your interest by pre-RSVPing today. Just visit ethanfreckleton.com slash declutter. That's ethanfreckleton.com slash declutter. Link will also be available in the show notes. In 2012, Jonathan Yanez quit his job, cashed in his 401k, and decided to go for broke as a full-time independent author. Now, he's a best-selling science fiction and fantasy author with a sizable backlist. In conventional narratives, it's tempting to only talk about the success. But in this interview, Jonathan busts the myths of the overnight success wide open and talks about the hard times and failures, too. In his own words, he's made every mistake imaginable, and yet he still come out ahead. If you're looking for inspiration to get it done, look no further than today's episode of the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. Jonathan Yanez, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and you were about to tell me before I hit record for that moment, special moment that will be coming someday for me, maybe someday soon, when I get that first one-star review, you had an exercise. Right. What's really helped me after doing this for eight years and getting my fair share of one and two star reviews mm. is taking a moment and then going to look up one or two of your favorite authors, mm. whether it be like Stephen King, J.K. Rowling, Dean Koontz, whoever it might be, and then mm. looking at their one star reviews. Mm. Right. Because these are like titans in our industry. So to know that, I mean, we can't please everybody. Neither can these great authors please everybody. Like I love Tolkien to go read some of his one-star reviews. Like if they're going to get one-star reviews, then we're bound to get one-star reviews I, as well. I guess so. And like, how did you first come by that thought? I don't know. I started writing in 2012. So I'm sure my, my one review started coming in 2012 as well. And I feel like I was just thinking nobody gets to success without having their fair share of people who are putting them down. Right. Just mm. because, I mean, I think it's a common concept. Like you can't please everybody. Yeah, it's true. You can't. I always think of this one story of a viral video of this cute little baby playing with a chubby, chunky little puppy. And they are <laughs> laughing, just having the greatest time. And this video was viewed millions of times. Yeah. There was thousands of upvotes. And there was yeah. three people who didn't like the video. <laughs> three people I found fault in this like little child having nothing but joy in his heart with this chubby puppy. Do you think and the if, person if who posted it, two, do you think the person who posted it like focused on those three downvotes? I don't know. You know, it may be that's, but that's possible, right? Cause I feel like until we kind of get that armor skin, yeah. that's kind of like our nature to, you know, kind of get down on ourselves and we realize that we weren't able to please everybody yeah. or let it get to us, you know, get, let somebody else's words get to us. But at the end of the day, you don't know them. And the only power that those one reviews have over you is if the power and value you put in them. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I imagine, you know, sometimes we get into trouble, perhaps I can't speak for you, I can only speak for myself, but if I set out the intention to try to please everybody with my book, right, then I'm bound to be disappointed. Yes, no, 100%. And especially, I mean, that's just, we're talking about books. If you start advertising your books, mm-hmm. especially on, you know, Facebook, then you start getting comments and those are even worse sometimes. <laughs> especially worse. So probably a good time for people who are listening um, for you to let um, listeners know like who you are and how you self-identify as far as what you want to share about yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Jonathan Yanez. I started down this crazy, wonderful road of being a writer slash business owner in 2012 when I had just realized like, hey, I know what I want to do and I know that fear is holding me back from making that plunge of being a full-time author. So I quit my job, cashed in my 401k, and I just put my back against the wall and told myself, you have no other option but for this to work. Mm-hmm. And you can what imagine. Was that? What was that like? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you can imagine uh, my wife's thought process because I didn't tell her I was quitting my job. Ah. I just quit. <laughs> so she's been nothing but awesome and supportive, though, the whole time that we've been together. And now, fast forward all these years later, in 2019, she actually was able to quit her job in advertising and come work for our company full time. Mm. Been full time for us now for just over a year. It was January of 2019 that she quit. Well, congratulations to her and to both of you um, for making that leap. And you have a little child, right? Yeah, we have Josephine. I call her Joe. We have Joe. She's going to be four in about five weeks. Wow. Yeah, I've got a little four-year-old. Oh, perfect. Likewise, I've got a supportive wife and, you know, I, it's my second child, a different, different parent, but this time around, just very conscious of, like, both of us very conscious of the best way to teach our child, like how to have their best life and live their best life is for us to make sure that we lean into our discomfort and continue to live our best lives even after we have a child. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy to think what you just said. I mean, like leaning into discomfort's a great way to put it, but there can be no progress in comfort. Yeah. Right? Like if you're comfortable, you're obviously not pushing yourself or straining or, or you know, working hard. If you're yeah. comfortable, I always have just like sitting on the couch watching TV. That's like comfortable for me. Yeah. As opposed to like going to them and, you know, sweating and, you know, and working hard to get to that next level. Yeah. I think wife and I both did the, like the, probably what would scare a lot of people when we found out that we were pregnant. Um, I quit my job. (laughs) 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 She, she soon followed, followed step. And we spent the first year with our kid and figuring out what we're going to do next. Yeah. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Right. It's crazy. It's a, it's a lot of fun, but I think, I mean, I don't think that there's anything wrong if you want to work for somebody else. Like, if that's really what you want to do, I say go for it. Everybody is going to find what makes them comfortable in this world. So I don't want to put anybody down who would rather not quit their job and who wants to work for yeah, somebody no. else. And, but, so there's this personal question that comes up for everybody, whether we think about it actively or not. And that's, there's this concept of enough, like, like legitimately we have some needs that are individual to us and some overlap, no doubt. And when you quit your job and go into self-employment, there's no guarantees. And so like, like at what point do you chalk it up and say, Hey, we're successful and sustainable. Like, what does that look like? What's, what was enough? Yeah, that's a good question. And success is a double-edged sword as well, right? Because you have to ask yourself that same question, like, okay, you hit your goals and you see like, hey, if I work harder, Mm -hmm. I wonder if I could reach a new set of goals. But then you ask your question, like at what cost, especially having a family, right? So like, yes, I could go back to working seven days a week and hitting, you know, 5,000 words a day word count, but Mm -hmm. at what cost to myself and to my family? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I've noticed, I think we're connected on social media. I noticed that you seem to put, at least my perception, the perception that maybe is out there, um, is that you put as much time into your own health and your own well-being as you do into your writing. Oh, yeah, for sure. So in 2017 and 2018, I worked seven days a week, just nonstop, right? Just like cranking on my business, cranking out books, and I wasn't taking care of my health as much as I could have been. Mm. So each year I was getting really sick, right? Whether it was like the flu hitting really hard or colds or like a stomach virus. Yeah. I would get sick, really sick, maybe like four to five times a year. Yeah. So in 2019, I made the conscious decision to only go to working six days a week. Mm. And I started waking up at 5 a.m. And that meant that I was able to get the bulk of my work finished before my daughter and wife woke up. Mm -hmm. So then I could have most of the day. You know, I'd still need to do emails and maybe, you know, hit like one more writing sprint or something later on. But I would have the bulk of the day to spend with them. Mm. And last year I got sick once and just very minorly. Like I was better within two days. Wow. So so chew on that for a second. So you changed up your schedule, you know, like most people like will get up early before kids get up so that they can get their work, their writing done before they go to work. So, but you're, you rescheduled so that you could get your writing done and then spend your time, your day with your family. Yeah, it's crazy to think, but... Like, that doesn't sound like the American dream at all, so... (laughs) (laughs) I think there's something wrong with me, Ethan. You haven't figured this out yet. There's something wrong with me. Like, I actually (laughs) like putting myself in these uncomfortable situations because I know they're going to make me grow. Mm. Mm. So I enjoy waking up at 5 a.m. So that way I can get, you know, like two to three hours of uninterrupted working and just a grind. Mm. And that way later on, you know, like I said, I still might need to get another hour or two in the day somewhere, yeah. but for the most part I could spend with my family. Yeah. And so what, what had to shift from like 2013, 2012 to 2019 for you to feel comfortable, like scaling back? I think, I mean, there's lots of different things, right? Like I wish it was easy to say there was like one thing that people could follow. And then, you know, they could have the same result, but it was a lot of different things, doing a lot of different things right. One of the biggest things, though, is outsourcing. Mm -hmm. So I used to try to do like all my newsletter, newsletter swaps, managing different like Facebook accounts and social media with advertising, right? Like I tried to do it all myself. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, what is your time worth and where are you most valuable? Yeah. So unless you are hiring a ghostwriter or you have um, maybe like a co-writer who's taking the bulk of the work, if you're a writer writing your own series, basically you, that's your job, right? Yeah. Do your job. So you need to sit down and make sure that you're writing content to be able to produce. I'm not a uh, Patriots fan, but my wife is a huge Patriots fan. Mm. And I do respect her work ethic. And what Bill Belichick, the coach of the Patriots always says is do your job. Yeah. So I always think that myself in my head, if I'm getting distracted and there's like good distractions too, right? I'm working on a film project. I'm working on video games. I'm doing Mm. things, things, but always in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, nobody's going to write that next book in your series except for you. So do your job. Mm. Okay. So there's a lot there, but I'm just going to hang on to the shiny object there. So (laughs) you mentioned good distractions. And so what's the difference between good distractions and and your core job yeah so i think a good distraction right is opening up different uh revenue streams or different opportunities for your business Mm. so we just launched in germany last week Mm. and i think that's a a good distraction for me though i was i wasn't going to be able to spend time like translate finding um and managing a translator to translate the books to, you know, going to get the cover designer to then make sure that the cover is in German to then do the advertising, like all that time was going to be taking away time resources from doing my main job, which is writing. Right. So we kind of built an infrastructure that my wife manages. My wife is the CEO of our company. Mm-hmm. She likes yeah. to remind me of that. She calls me the talent. 
I'm the, the talent. talent. <laughs> and then she's the CEO. Nice. So just creating that machine, if you would, of people who are in place to start translating these books, translating the covers, formatting, uploading, and having them go live with advertising. Mm -hmm. I always think of, do you know who Howard Hughes is? Yeah. So Howard Hughes' father is the one that made all the money and then Howard Hughes kind of inherited the money, but he also, you know, built and did things himself. Yeah. But his father was the one that built these drills, these really heavy drills that were able to drill down to levels to find oil. Yeah. And what he did is he rented out these drills to different companies. So I always thought to myself, like everybody in the indie industry, it seems to me is working on building their publishing company. They're doing a great job building books. A lot of them almost are a publisher themselves now, like taking mm -hmm. on all these different co-writers and all these different writers underneath them. But I thought to myself, when everybody's zigging, I want to zag. So what is nobody doing? What does nobody want to tackle? That seems really hard. And I thought to myself, porn rights, video games, and film. Ah, Those seem like the structures or the drills, if you would, that nobody wants to spend the time or effort to create. Right. So I thought to myself, if I can create this drill, this kind of like structure, this program for myself first, but then I'd be able to rent it out or help these people, you know, find their own oil. Mm -hmm. I wonder mm -hmm. if there's opportunity there. Yeah. And, and so far are you finding that like, what's the balance between it's been fun, creative play and troubleshooting and it's taking time and energy. Yeah. So I'm definitely blessed. Um, we said before that my wife came to work for our company in January of 2019. So just over a year ago. Mm. So she's taken on a lot of that. So we'll have our business meetings and it's kind of, we've kind of fell into these roles, not by intention, but kind of, it just happened where I'm the one that's good about like going out and finding these people to fit these roles, whether it's a translator or a cover artist or a certain editor. Mm -hmm. And then she's really good at managing the process. Mm. So I'll go ahead and find that translator and then hand her off to my wife. And then my wife is really good about, you know, touching base with them once or twice a week, making sure the projects are flowing as they should. Right. Yeah. So again, making sure the execution happens and all that relationship management stuff. So right. like if you were looking at what you've learned and you look back at the start of your career and I'm thinking about this in the context of other people who might be thinking about, well, what parts of this can I borrow for my own career, right? Like, does any of this make sense? Like the conversation about outsourcing and leveraging IP and these partnerships for somebody who doesn't have the revenue yet? I think for somebody just starting off, there's a misconception that virtual assistants or assistants have to be really expensive. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw out a statistic to you that's going to blow your mind, Ethan. Are you ready? Okay. I don't know. I want my mind for the later. <laughs> <laughs> in a good way. It'll blow your oh, mind good. in a okay. good way. All right. A thunderbolt of knowledge. You might already know this, but there are more English-speaking college graduates in India mm. than the population of the United States. Mm. <laughs> yes. Right? So that means there's so many people who are educated, who speak English, who are willing to work and willing to work for what we would consider, you know, minimum wage. But these again are, you know, college educated people yeah. who are competent and willing to execute on different things you'd want them to. Yeah. And again, are just willing to make minimum wage and they're so happy and grateful for that opportunity. Mm. So outsourcing becomes a huge thing. And I mean, and that's to say like, you don't have to go to India to find these people. That's just a big example I was using. There's yeah. people across, you know, the United States who are, are fine making a minimum wage and who are able, you know, to help you with building your newsletter, with uh, helping manage your social media accounts. That way you can, you know, do the main thing, do your job, which for most of us is writing. Right. I would say for that beginning person who's just starting off, don't think that a virtual assistant uh, has to be, you know, five or $600 a month because it doesn't. Yeah. It could be, you know, a minimal amount of work for them to help build your social media 
and build your platform and build your newsletter. Because yeah. if I had to go back to myself eight years ago when I started writing in 2012, Ethan, yeah, I would have sat myself down and told myself, build your newsletter. Yeah, yeah. But to, there's a mindset thing that goes with this, right? Like, um, it's one thing to jump and start writing and see if you can sell some books. And it's another to say, well, wait, am I really committed to this? And does what I'm doing really have value when it hasn't been proven to me yet? by the numbers right like i uh, i'll just be honest with you can i be honest with you ethan please oh okay. my god so for the first five years so 2012 to 2017 mm -hmm. i was just falling on my face making every mistake in the book mm. right i don't know if you've heard that saying <laughs> but it's fail early fail often fail uh -huh. forward yeah I was, I didn't know it because I didn't know that saying at that time, but I was definitely doing it. Yeah. So for five years, just nothing, right? Minimal, minimal income. Wasn't sure what I was doing. I yeah. had this idea in my mind that maybe if I just wrote more books, if I just wrote more books and threw them out there, eventually something would happen. Yeah. And it wasn't until I took a step back and be like, okay, you need to have a business plan of building your fan base, you know, mm -hmm. covers that make sense in your genre, tropes that make sense in your genre a blurb that's going to catch people, you know, just putting all these different puzzle pieces together. Yeah. And it was like the very end of 2017, definitely 2018 that I started understanding how to put the puzzle together. Right. And, you know, we all have different learning styles. And so I think for those that are paying a lot of attention, we'll hear that a lot, right? Like about the business plan and we need these things, but we might not know what a good one looks like. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah. We might not know what good data looks like. We might not know if we're succeeding or failing based on the numbers we're seeing. Yeah, that's a good point too. I would say definitely immerse yourself in the culture. They always say that the best way to learn a foreign language is mm. to immerse yourself into that culture. Yeah, yeah. So podcasts like yours are a great resource. There's groups on Facebook. There's books that you can read. I would say just immerse yourself into mm. a culture. Uh, when I started the film route, I didn't know anything about film. So I just told myself, hey, it's time to go back to school. What mm -hmm. does age do? What do different producers do? So I, was, yeah. I just felt, you know, I was taking notes. I can't remember the last time I had like a pen and paper and I was taking notes, but just <laughs> podcasts and books and articles and reaching out to people and conversations. Yeah. And then if you really want it, Ethan, this might yeah. be cliche to say, but if you really want something, 100%, I think you could do it. Yeah. If like, if you don't leave yourself any option for failure, all in your mind is like, I'm going to make this happen. Yeah. You will find a way to make it happen. It might not be fast. It might no. take years, but you'll yeah. get there. Yeah. And like, so I ask, it's almost a rhetorical question, but maybe not. I don't know your story. Like, so let's say you make that leap and you're going to do whatever it takes. Um, <clears throat> can you do it on your own? Did you do it on your own or did you have help? Yeah. So when I quit my job in 2012, we went down to one income because my wife was working. Mm -hmm. But even with one income living in Southern California, things are, <laughs> I needed to bring in some income of my own for mm -hmm. us to be okay. So what I started doing is I was writing. And at the time I was doing query letters to traditional publishing houses because I hadn't really caught on or embraced this whole independent me being my own boss thing. So 2012, writing, doing query letters, sending them out by batches of 20. I would send out 20 and then give it like, you know, a month or two, hoping to hear something back. And if I didn't get a favorable response, which I did, and I keep on getting rejected or no's, mm -hmm. I would send out another 20. Yeah. But in that time, I needed to help with the income. So I got a part-time job as a personal trainer. Mm-hmm at a gym. So that's what I was doing part-time to make this work while I was working full-time as a writer. And it wasn't until I sent out that batch because I would send them out in 20s. So it was batch 81 to 100 mm. that I finally got my first yes. So I had mm. to send out 100 queries, get 99 no's, and then before I got my first yes. Mm. And then what happened? And then I started the traditional route. And again, I know a lot of people who are traditionally published and like the traditional publishing model. So to them, I say more power to you. You do you. For me, I just saw how much 
they were doing as far as, you know, getting a cover, getting an editor, doing a little bit of marketing, and then taking a large percentage of my profit. Mm, yeah. And I thought to myself, okay, like self, are you willing to do this? Are you willing to take on this job of not just being a writer, but being a publisher as well, knowing that then you retain a larger percentage of the profit? And I yeah. said, yes, that I could do this. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like, but that first victory, right, was was important in the chain of events, right? And that it's almost like a vote of confidence, maybe. Oh, yeah, you could for do sure. It. Yeah. I tell people, too, who get down on themselves, they're like, oh, well, you know, I only have one book published, or I was only able to make $100 this month, or whatever it might be, to celebrate those victories. Mm. Like, take, you know, it can't be a, it can't be a long celebration. You can't be celebrating you know, this uh, victory for the next month or the next couple months because you got to do your job. You got to get back to work. Mm. But definitely take some time, go out to dinner, go celebrate with a loved one and do something special. And then the next day it's time to get back to work. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Unless you're JK Rowling. and Yeah. yeah. Unless your name's JK Rowling, then things might turn out a little different for you. Might. Or Hugh Howie celebrates by floating on the ocean for months at a time but yeah i heard he's going to be at the 20 books vegas conference for 2020 this year that's pretty wild isn't it that's yeah it'll exciting. be cool to, to see him yeah i love that everybody has their own path to success and so you have a lot of books out now it looks like i started going through your backlist and it's pretty extensive and i'm curious well so one answer is you've been writing since 2012 or at it full-time but to like what's still motivating you about storytelling and writing and what kind of stories do you find that you're keep getting drawn to so i don't outline at all Mm. the adventure for me it's fun for me it's almost like playing a video game or watching a movie when i'm writing Mm because i don't know what's going to happen i'm just like hanging out with these characters and we're you know, traveling a post-apocalyptic world and monsters are chasing us. And then all of a sudden we're in space and we're, mm. you know, space mercenaries. So I think that's the the fun for me that keeps me going. Mm. It never happened. Anything could happen. Yeah. And was that always the case or did that like something, a shift you made to keep it engaging for you? No, I think that's originally how it happened. I think maybe at the most when I started I would do just kind of like a bullet point outline. So maybe just five or 10 things that I knew mm. were going to happen in the story. Yeah. And I think that's the most outlining I've ever done, but that was early on. And now I don't even do that. I'm no. just kind of like strapping my blaster to my hip and then, you know, jumping along with these characters and going on an adventure. Yeah. And so when you, deviated from that right and it sounds like you trust your writing and your process and like what was it that you needed to have trust in doing it that way i think that i understood storyline and more importantly i wanted to make sure that i really understood my character i forget what author said this but just fyi disclaimer i did not make this up i'm not trying to take credit for this ethan yeah. But somebody more more intelligent than I said that their main character is their best friend. Ah. So I think once they trusted that I really knew these characters, I knew how they would act in certain situations. I knew yeah. how two characters, if you put two characters in a room, how they would talk to each other. Yeah. I think that really helped trust the process of just being able to write without an outline. Okay. So I, you know, and I don't usually get deep into craft and I don't know how deep I need to go, but I guess the question then is, that I would have is what do you need to know about your story before you start writing? I think I just have an idea. So this latest series, my series that I'm writing right now is called Forsaken Mercenary. Mm-hmm. And I love Wolverine. He's my favorite superhero. Yeah. And I wanted to do something in space. And I also really like the Jason Bourne series. Yeah. So I think it was just knowing that it's like, what if, Wolverine basically uh, J- and Jason Bourne, their storyline kind of intermixed as one, and there was like a sci fi setting. Mm. Like, what would happen? So, just asking myself those questions, like finding something that I'm passionate about and excited about and that I love, and then making it my own. 
Yeah. I like that. And do you get feedback along the way from others on your story as you go on the first draft or? No. So I, I go ahead and uh, my routine now, cause I started taking a day off a week. So I take Sundays off. So I just work Monday through Saturday mm. and I wake up at 5am. So morning routine is just up at five, grab some coffee, sit down and then just start, you know, grinding away. What I've learned is to do writing sprints. Yeah. So I do a thousand words in about half an hour. Yeah. And I just make sure I already know what I'm going to write. So it takes any guesswork away. Like I can't sit at the computer and start thinking then like, Oh, what's going to happen now? I have to go to sleep thinking about it while I'm eating lunch. I'm thinking about what's going to happen for the next writing sprint. Okay. I never stare at a blank screen, just wondering what's going to happen. Right. And so how much is enough to know about what's going to happen? Next scene is a line. Is it like a paragraph? Yeah. So it's just like a scene. So I wrote a scene in the last book. If any of anybody who's reading Forsaken Mercenary is listening to this earmuffs, FYI. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Spoiler alert. You can unearmuff in maybe 20 seconds. (laughs) So what I was writing the other day is I just knew that there was going to be a sea monster, right? Because these monsters were unleashed on earth. So I knew that the next scene that my, a hero was going to be fighting the villain and they were going to be fighting on the beach and the sea monster was going to come out and grab one of them. Hmm. And that was enough. And then I could do a writing sprint of about a thousand words or even 2000 words, however long the scene lasted, just knowing that that was going to be the next scene. Yeah. And these, these writing sprints too, Ethan, I talked to so many people who don't understand really what a writing sprint is, hmm. but basically it's like zero interruption. So no social media, no getting up from the seat. All it is is just go, like no going back. I write in Microsoft Word. Yeah. So when I misspell a word, there's a nice little red squiggly line underneath it. Yep. And I used to make the mistake of when I was writing, going back <clears throat> and fixing and editing while I was writing. Yeah. I cut that out totally. So all it is is just go. It's just entering a flow state. Mm-hmm. You enter a flow state and you're able to, you know, crank out. In my case, like a thousand words in about 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah. And then if I could do four of those sprints a day, that's 4,000 words a day. And that's, that's what I need. Yeah. Now, in, during those sprints, do you ever hit that point where you go, oh, well, I've completed my idea I had of what would happen next. And oh, yeah, for sure. So if I get to that point where I feel like, okay, I finished this scene, I'll look at my word count. And if I haven't hit 1,000 words, it's my job as an author not to give into quote, unquote, writer's block. Hmm. It's my job to sit down and find a way to get it done, to finish it up, get that next thousand words, even if it's into the next scene. Yeah. I've just started my wife. It's so awesome. She, she bought me stuff so that I could dictate and oh, walk. Yeah. And, you know, and that's a little daunting and the weather wasn't really supportive of it after I got it, but I've started playing around with it. And I already knew that like, if I needed more ideas, all I needed to do was take a break and go for a walk. Yes. And so I'm finding that if I just dictate and walk, right? Like, so, okay, I have an idea of what's going to happen next, just as short as yours. And I walk, I complete that. And it's like, okay, that idea is done. I press stop. I walk a few more steps or a block. And it's like, okay, now I know what's going to happen next. Press record. That's, that's definitely been gratifying. Um, I don't know if the stories are good. But. I'm sure they are. I think we're always we're always hardest on ourselves. Yeah. Like even now, I don't know how many books I've written, uh, but even now, like every once in a while, I think like, ah, is this good? Is this is this moving the story along? Like how? Yeah. Like second guess yourself. For me, it happens on the first draft. Yeah. And by the second draft, when I'm reading through it, I have like too much Tony Stark in me, and I'm like, this is gold. Yeah. If somebody doesn't like this, there's something wrong with them because yeah. this is some great stuff. Yeah, I, it, it definitely helps for me to already have people who have liked and like been super supportive of similar work I've already done with a, kind of that process of not having the editor on. Uh-huh. Um, I can't imagine, like I can't imagine, but I'm not sure what advice to offer for somebody who doesn't have fans yet, right? And hasn't had that feedback to know what it is about what they're writing that um, they should like that resonates with people. And I wonder if you could put yourself back to that time when you didn't have fans yet, um, what your writing process would have felt like in terms of knowing if you were doing a good job or not. I'm trying to remember when I wrote my first series, 
I think, because you're right, like, I mean, nobody knew who we were when we were writing our first books. So I think maybe it was either fr- just friends or family yeah. that I, you know, that I coerced and bribed to read my book and give me some feedback. I'm sure my wife was one of them. And then, you know, I'm sure I can think of a couple friends. So I think that's how I did it. I think I wrote the book and then I got friends and family to kind of, you know, take a look and see what they liked and what they didn't like. I would always ask them because a lot of people are hesitant to give you criticism because they don't want to hurt your feelings. Yeah. So to kind of like lighten the load on them, I always told them, tell me what you really did like about it. And then tell me kind of like where you saw opportunity to grow. And I felt like if they were able to also give you a positive feedback, then they were more likely to be honest with you about what you needed to work on. Yeah. And did you have getting into writing like a favorite craft book or teacher? I don't don't think so. I don't Or just follow your instincts. Yeah. I just read a ton growing up. So I would, I would read a lot and I knew that for what genres that I was writing in, it was important for me to, again, just immerse myself into Mm -hmm. that genre. Mm -hmm. So I think that was my go-to more so than craft books, like just immersing myself in the genre that I was writing. So I knew kind of like what worked and what didn't, what fans and readers would appreciate and what they wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. And so what are you working on right now as far as like stretching yourself with writing stories. Yeah. So we just uh, launched into the German market and that's been super exciting to see the Forsaken Mercenary received there. Yeah. And uh, now kind of we have that drill, we have that machine built. So now Mm. we're just starting to put book after book into that machine and hit the German market. Mm. And uh, as far as the series that I'm working on, I'm writing the Forsaken Mercenary series. I'm on book eight right now. Book eight will be out uh, in about two to three weeks. Mm. So a mistake that I made early on is I would always write trilogies or maybe yeah. even like a one-off book. Yeah. I didn't understand how much it cost on the marketing side or advertising side to acquire a new reader until yeah. my wife came on full time. Yeah. So we broke down the numbers for us. Yeah. We need six fifty ish, six dollars and fifty cents. Yeah. And advertising to acquire a new reader. Mm. That means on book one, if I'm pricing my book one at like three ninety nine or four ninety nine, I'm yeah. not making my money back. Yeah. I have to get them, you know, into book two before I start seeing a profit. And then from book two on, then I'm able, you know, to support my family and pay our mortgage and buy groceries. Right. So right. early on, I wish I would have started doing long series, but again, it wasn't until forsaken mercenary maybe even last year that i started doing longer series of books like six books in a series so now right. forsaken mercenary is eight books almost out but sure. i plan on taking it to like 10 to 15 and the math changes again if you have a co-writer right right yes and so you've done a lot of co-writing it looks like do you want to talk about that yeah or- so i've yeah i've written with a bunch of people from like april baker to ross Bazell. Uh, Nick Cole and Jason Onspach, Jay and Cheney, um, Justin Sloan. There's a bunch of names just because I've been writing for so long, right? Yeah. So eight I years. J.R. Castle in there. Yeah. So J.R. Castle is actually my wife. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Yay. We did a series together called Gateway to the Galaxy. Okay. Yeah. I want to talk about that, but like we'll, we'll get there. So I guess first question is why did you start co writing and what? What did you like get from it and where has it stretched you? Yeah, I think uh, the reason I wanted to start co-authoring is because I want to do it all, Ethan. (laughs) I feel like, I don't know about you, but I don't believe in reincarnation. So I feel like this is it. This is the chance that we have. This is the chance we have for either for me to binge another season of Netflix or to, you know, open up a new river system and see if I could push myself further, right? Going back to, to uh, making yourself uncomfortable. Yeah. So as sick <laughs> as it sounds, I'm always looking for ways to beat myself down so I could rise up. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds pretty bad when you sit out loud, right? But that's basically what we're doing. Like you have to keep on putting yourself in these uncomfortable positions so you could grow. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm the president of the California Writers Club and I'm not saying that to be like, oh, he's the president. But uh, when they asked me to be president, 
I was hesitant because I don't like public speaking. Okay. But I knew that the president had to get up in front of the club every month. And he's basically like the MC who's going to orchestrate everything, um, you know, announcements or yeah. uh, introducing the speaker that we're going to have that month. Mm. So I said, yes. So that was another opportunity for me to do something that I definitely was not comfortable with, but for me to grow. Perfect. And what's it like writing with the wife? It's been a lot of fun. So Gateway to the Galaxy is basically Green Lantern meets Stargate. Mm. So instead of rings, they have van braces, but it's their power of will, their fighting spirit that defines how strong they are. Okay. So, I mean, it's cool because you can have, you know, like um, somebody in their 90s, but if, if their heart is strong and their power of will to succeed is um, as strong inside of them, then they can be as powerful as, you know, a 21-year-old who's in great shape doing the same thing. Sure. Or if there's a, a little girl who's crippled and she can't walk, but her fighting spirit to find a way forward is strong enough, she can just be as powerful as anybody else. Cool. And like, how did you arrive on that idea or decide that that was the one that you both wanted to work on? I think it was fun because I love superheroes. So mm -hmm. it was fun to mix two cultures together. Oh, another thing on the business side that we started doing that I did not do before is looking for opportunities for unserved, underserved markets. Ah, yes. Right. So that's one thing that my wife taught me with advertising. So before I'd be like, oh, I'm going to do this because it sounds cool or I'm going to use this title or this word for no other reason than I think it sounds cool and fits the story. Yeah. Now we do extensive testing and market research to see like what keywords are searched more than other words. Mm. Uh, what markets have a huge fan base like Stargate but are not being served with new content. Mm. Or uh, Green Lantern, right? The Green Lantern movie came out. I didn't think it was that bad. A lot of people really didn't like it. But I thought to myself, I know there's tons of Green Lantern fans out there. Yeah. I know there's a lot of Stargate fans out there. And neither one of those franchises are necessarily, like, I'm sure there are things coming out. But yeah. it seems like the fan bases uh, would consume more content if it was available for them. Right. Well, how, how do you know, like, how do you know that a TV or a film viewer translates to a book reader? Uh, advertising research. Okay. So, again, not everybody will. Not everybody who likes film is also going to like ebooks. So does that mean like you just dedicate a certain chunk of budget to find out if clicks will convert to sales or? Yeah. So Jennifer, we need to get her on your show too. Absolutely. She actually, yeah. She does all of that for us. So from yeah. like Facebook to advertising, to keyword searches, to figuring out where in the market that there's opportunity, even mm. to um, the first book of the Forsaken Mercenary series, the title yeah. of that book is Dropship. Hmm. Because mm -hmm. she found that dropship is a term that's widely searched and nobody's mm. using it. If you look for uh, books that are titled dropship, there's nothing out there. Yeah. But it's yeah. like a common term in sci-fi that sci-fi readers are looking for. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Things like that that I wouldn't do, you know, year one or even year five that I've learned to do now have made all the difference. Mm. Yeah, there are surprising terms like that all over the place. I've done a, more research on that front on the nonfiction things when people ask. and So many opportunities out there. Yes, that's a good way to put it. There's a lot of opportunities for those people who are willing to like hunker down, not get distracted, and just, you know, dedicate a few hours to following different leads. Yeah. Yeah, and if you need somebody to show you the tools to, to do that, there are plenty of people out there who could probably help and YouTube videos with demos as well. Yeah, for sure. Like I always think it's super weird when people ask me questions that I feel like they could just YouTube or Google. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like not to put anybody down, but like there's such a wealth of information out there for yeah. you. Like if you don't know something, that's fine. Yeah. I didn't know a lot of things when I started <laughs> off and doing, um, opening up different revenue streams. Yeah. Like it was a crash course. I didn't know that like the different types of producers there are. I didn't know the difference between an executive producer a line producer, an yeah. associate producer, a regular producer. And a, and a lot of us learn by doing, right? Yeah. We do just in time learning and, and, and it's, there are gaps out there. Like, so drop ship is an underserved market. I'm sure there are gaps in terms of still resources for people learning how to have an author business as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think there's always opportunity. Yeah. 
And so kind of back to working with the wife, like, you know, like how does that work in terms of like decision-making and making sure both of you are like all in and excited and committed? Yeah. So usually, um, do you know that scene? I don't know if it was lethal weapon, but I think it was lethal weapon where there's somebody about to jump off of a roof mm-hmm. and he goes up to the guy I think it's Mel Gibson goes up to him guys like, okay, I'll jump with you. You're ready to mm-hmm. jump. We're going to jump together. Yeah. So that's me. That's me. I'm ready to jump off the roof. Like if somebody asked me for advice, whether they should take a risk or something, I'm probably the worst person to ask. <laughs> You're like, yes. I'm going to say like, I'll jump with you. This is a great idea. Let's do it together. Yeah. yeah. So I'm the one that's a little bit riskier and saying like, Hey, let's dedicate all this money to opening up, you know, a foreign rights section, uh, foreign publishing section of our business and let's mm-hmm. go get Germany or, mm-hmm let's dedicate all this resources and time to do our first video game of gateway to the galaxy for a mobile app. So I'm definitely the riskier one and she's a little bit more conservative. So we both um, come to meetings. Sometimes it's just a conversation and passing. Sometimes it's an actual meeting. Like if our daughter's at a gym class or something like that, Mm. we'll go out to a restaurant and we'll sit down with our computers and have Mm. like a line by line meeting. Mm Mm-hmm. But basically, it's just, you know, respecting and loving each other, knowing that we each come from a place where we have input and valuable uh, insight to add to the conversation, and then just hearing each other out. And usually, like, if somebody feels really strong one way or the other, we'll go that way. Mm. Um, So if she feels really strongly that we should or shouldn't do something, I'm more apt, you know, like to back off or vice versa, because we know, I mean, we're both coming from it from the same place. Like, we want our business to succeed. Yeah. And I've noticed for a lot of projects um, that it helps to have know who's going to take the lead, like who's that person who's got the initial spark of excitement and the clarity of what the idea is. Yes. And that knowing those roles can be helpful. Yeah, for sure. I had said it before, but like we're finding out now, I mean, we're still learning each other things about each other working together is that I'm more, the one that doesn't mind being rejected or told no or ignored. I'm just used to it mm-hmm. <laughs> from being so many years. And then she's the one that's a lot better in like managing relationships. Mm. So I'll just use uh, cover designers as an example. If we need a new cover designer, I'll be the one to go out and start reaching out and either be ignored or told no, or they're too expensive or whatever the case may be. Yeah. I might have to go through like 10 or 20 cover designers. But yeah. then when I find one, that you know meets all our criteria then i'm like great let me hand you off to the owner of our publishing house so she yeah. can give you some more details yeah yeah that's super awesome I, if only we could all be so lucky to have to have that ally that's no definitely definitely blessed like every day i feel like we have conversations that you know i wouldn't be able to have with anybody else but because but because she's so involved in the community and in the industry she can you know be like oh you know give me insightful feedback on like yes we should pursue that or no we shouldn't do that yeah yeah and so you have a nonfiction book as well i noticed for authors right yeah i did talk about that yeah so uh my nonfiction book is called get it done Mm. hard-hitting motivation for authors and I was, I've been thinking about going back and doing a second edition just because I wrote that a few years ago and I feel like I've learned so much. I feel like I learned so much every month, Ethan, let alone yeah. like every year. Yeah. <clears throat> so I feel like I, I need to go back and do a second edition on that. But basically yeah. it's, I feel like in our author community, there's lots of books, great books on how to advertise, how to write the craft of writing, uh, how to use Facebook, you know, all these things. And I didn't, find a lot of books on motivating Mm. people to write yeah so i decided that that was an area that i was passionate about coming from like just a personal training background motivating and coaching people yeah and then just a desire to see people succeed yeah Uh, so i i wrote that book but i definitely need to spend more time it's just time right like even me outsourcing things to different assistants and then Jennifer helping so much with our company, I still mm. have limited time. So now it's kind of like, do I take time away from writing this fiction series that's doing well to then go back to write some more nonfiction? Yeah. So I definitely want to revisit that at some point. Right. But yeah, and yet I imagine for like the premise of it, get it done, right? That 
that's kind of a timeless message, like your creation right. story as yes. an author. For sure. I feel like a lot of times writers feel like they're alone because it's, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, that's, I'm basically, that's how you write. It's just you and the screen. It's you and the story. Yeah. And a lot of people might not have a structure around them where they're able to look to a spouse or a relative or a friend to help, you know, support them. Or if that friend or relative does support them and motivate them, maybe they don't know exactly how the best way to go about that would be since mm. they're not a writer themselves. Mm. So I just saw an opportunity to like speak to writers, telling them that they're not alone, that yeah. there's strength in numbers that like, if I could do this, trust me, if I could fall on my face for five years, mm. you can do this too. Cause I made every mistake in the book starting off. Mm. Yeah. It's worth everybody hearing. And one of the reasons I do this is just to help keep perspective, right? Like we see the success stories and we hear about the people who succeed out of the gate, right? Like that succeed on writing one book a year or within three years have built their empire, right? It's, oh man. I wish that was me, Ethan. Yeah. That was me, but that I, life, I, I'm not allowed to have nice things. That life was not meant for me. Me too. Like I've, I've had to work for everything. Like, there seems like there's a seven year curve and in, uh, in everything. And I see that play out for a lot of people, right? Like the overnight success story tends to start at the seven year mark. Oh yeah. Uh, my first month of independent publishing month, I made 30 cents. Yeah. But, but this also means like a lot less people would make the jump if they heard, you know, like instead of hearing you can do it, said the hearing you're probably not going to hit break even until you know year five yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i always tell people who uh they uh ask me about the writing life because everybody has an, a story right like everybody wants to tell me about their idea oh i have a great idea for a book yeah and i tell them i'm not going to lie to you and say this is easy i'm yeah. going to say it's going to be one of the hardest things that you've ever done but it's worth it hmm it is worth I don't it. Want, yeah, for sure. I don't want to take away that hope or that joy from them. Like, if you are committed to seeing this through to the end, yeah, you will get there. The only way you won't get there is if you give up. And I promise yeah. you, it will be with it. But it's going to be a lot of hard work and grinding along yeah. the way. I, I think for some people, the reason they don't get it done might be the writing or what comes up in the writing. But I think for a lot of us, it's all the supporting skills that go around. How do I set my life up? for five to 10 years to grind at one thing that's not going to pay off instantly. Yeah. So like in my case, I mean, that meant getting a part-time job yeah. that was like had flexible hours and that I could, you know, be at the gym, personal training, but yeah. then full-time working on my book. And then, I mean, up until uh, last year was easier, but 2017, 2018, that mm. looked like writing every single day of the week for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not going to be dramatic and say I wrote every single day of the year because, again, I was sick. So I know for sure, you know, I took days off in there when I had the stomach flu and stuff. Yeah. But I definitely remember Thanksgivings, Christmases, New Year's, uh, waking up at five. Or I don't know if I was waking up early that uh, during that time to write. But definitely getting those writing sprints in Yeah. during those days, you know, saying no to friends that I can't go hang out because I had to write. Yeah. Yeah, for, for me, the personally, the, the pains look like, you know, yeah, it's like Christmas. Like, I didn't get my family as many presents as I used to get them when I worked the secure job, right? Uh -huh. And and we don't take as many vacations as we used to take. You know, like, but the day-to-day, -day, each day on net is so much better than my best day working a safe career where I didn't have much time or capacity for other things. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I feel the same way. Um, well, well not, the way I was raised for like gifts and Christmas is, um, is I think different than a lot of people. Like I remember Christmases, I came from a, a loving family, never any question about that. Yeah. Great family. But I mean, Christmases were like, you know, you got a new book mm. and maybe some socks. Yeah. And then maybe a toy somewhere from like a, a relative or something like that. Yeah. They were never, you know, it was never like a huge, like everybody has 10 different presents to open and people are getting like iPads and Apple watches. Yeah. 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 That was never that for me growing up. Yeah. Well, that helps 
a lot of these things like if if we are able to find and normalize on that concept of enough this whole premise of making the jump seems less scary in my opinion yeah isn't that crazy to think too and i always tell my friends too like my friends who uh i see you know like on a weekly basis or a monthly basis or whatever i tell them like we always check ourselves i tell them you know if i'm ever not the guy who just wants to wear a used pair of converse and like a hoodie I got from a Spartan race three years ago. Yeah. Like talk to me, check me. Like I don't want to change. I don't want um, to be, as far as money goes, I want to make sure that I'm always content with money, but yeah. not content on how far I could push myself. Because yeah. I think those are two different things. Yeah. 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 Uh, different motivators for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for people who are interested in finding you, finding your stories or knowing more about you, um, how can they do so? Yeah. So I'm, I'm on Amazon. If you wanted to check out books, Jonathan Yanez, my last name's Y A N E Z. Mm -hmm. Um, my website's Jonathan dash Yanez.com. And then same thing on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. If you wanted to join our readers group or, you know, there's a page that we have or to friend me, Mm -hmm. I'm always around like time now is getting more and more limited. Yeah. But uh, my routine, you know, starting writing in the mornings is first thing in the mornings, I go through all my emails and messages just to make sure that like, that's segmented and out of the way. Yeah. And then I start writing. So, I mean, I could get through maybe like 15, 20, 30 minutes of messages first to make sure that uh, readers or people reaching out for help are taken care of first. And then I start writing because without readers, we don't yeah. have a job. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I want to make sure I'm always accessible to them. Yeah, and it's good to have that daily reminder that there's somebody waiting for what you're doing. Right, for sure. Yeah, at least it is for me. So, No, I think that's true. I've, I've heard a lot of people say that it's hard for them to answer the emails and the messages first thing, like they save that for later on in the day. Yeah. But for me, I feel like that's like an immediate battle that I can win. Like as soon as I wake up mm. and hit the keyboard, I'm already mm -hmm. checking things off my to-do list, like starting the momentum. So when I get into that first sprint, I'm already in a good place. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. And I know personally, for me, what drains me of the ability to write is holding a lot of space for other people before I've had a chance to get my ideas down. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's a question of how the interactions with the readers go and, you know, boundaries and those sorts of things. Yes, for sure. The uh, writing part is the fun part that we enjoy. Yeah. And I think the business part is kind of maybe the part that a lot of writers don't necessarily enjoy. Yeah. But then there's another avenue, just like you mentioned, that people don't even uh, think about. It's like how to create boundaries mm. with you know other readers and other writers and protecting your time. Yeah. It's, uh, it's another opportunity to grow. Yeah. Uh, and making space to do this full time. There's a lot of boundaries that need to be set. Yes, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's the skill. So, well, Jonathan, it's been an absolute pleasure being able to sit down and chat with you. Yeah, for sure. As soon as you uh, invited me on the podcast, I already know, knew who you were. I listened to your show. So as awesome. soon as you asked if I'd come in, I jumped at the opportunity. Thanks Great. for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. And I look forward to chatting with your wife as well. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover The Fearless Storyteller podcast.